Hello, and welcome to Leonard Radchenko. I've asked Leonard to help me with something here where I'm going to break a story kind of from an initial idea. I'm going to walk through, do what we call story breaking uh, in writing, where you just sort of are more or less coming up with the outlines of the story. Uh, what are the broad strokes of that story? What are the big moments in that story? What are some of the big decisions, you know, the big macro decisions you'd make about a story? How do you kind of take a premise, an idea, and move into a story? And uh, so Lyndon's going to help me out with this. Normally, what I would do when I was going to story break with Lyndon is, uh, you know, I'd be throwing out ideas, he'd be throwing out ideas. Uh, we're in a kind of limited a little bit, uh, make it a bit more one-sided than it might normally be here. Uh, just to sort of put Lyndon more in the role of a uh, person sort of who's getting me to clarify, <laughs> make sure I'm saying things in a you know kind of clear way and the logic is clear um, and asking kind of questions. And he's also going to kind of keep us on track. So I want this, the story break is a bit easier when you're kind of talking about it in a sort of, you know, talking to another person about it. Again, it's a lot easier when you know somebody is coming up with uh, is helping you come up with things. But I want to just sort of display how you can do it by yourself, uh, just with you know, to make it a little more uh, comprehensible for somebody watching or listening. Uh, Lynn's going to kind of play a bit of the role of the you know person I would eventually have to justify this idea to, <laughs> or again, just making sure I'm kind of staying on track and keeping clear about it. But Lyndon himself is a writer, uh, writer, letterer, and lawyer. Um, so, you know, has, uh, like I say, a lot of experience with story breaking as well. Um, so I'm hoping then you can keep things on track, but also just kind of make sure I'm clarifying steps if I'm skipping over them, like walking through my logic a little bit. And like I say, what we're going to do here is take an idea and move it to a story. A big problem that a lot of people have when they start writing or they start kind of getting deeper into writing is they have a, they don't necessarily distinguish between an idea and a story. And this is the people who will come up to you and start telling you they're a great idea, but they don't really have a good idea um, because they don't really get it, uh, that the idea is kind of worthless in many ways. Uh, the valuable thing is not the idea. The valuable thing is putting into a structure a narrative structure of some sort. Uh, and the other thing just sort of to note here, uh, I'm going to story, story break it, this thing twice. Uh, so the first time I'm going to do it, if we were going to take the same, this idea and make it a short story, uh, the second time I'm going to go back and do it, like what would it have to be different or change or how would you break it differently if you were writing a feature film? So a short story, first, then feature film, but it'll be the same idea. And I think hopefully that will help people kind of understand what, uh, what the differences, you know, some of the differences in the medium. I'm just going to pull up something quick that I'll need later. Um, so Lennon, uh, in terms of the idea, uh, why don't you just re reiterate what the idea is that we've, I've decided on here. Sure. So the idea is um, we're going to build a sort of Kafkaesque story around the a government's response to an alien attack. And sure. it's going to be my job here. I have a rough um, outline or agenda that we're going to work through to develop this idea <clears throat> as fully as we can and talk about all the different parts of a story oh, or the framework of a story that you want to include. Yes. And uh, sorry, I just want to double check that I was recording it. But also, um, uh, the other thing I just want to make sure we're clear on is um, I'm going to try to uh, do this as a quite a short story. So a short story that would be like roughly, you know, 3000 words, like that's sort of what we're aiming at here. Uh, versus, and then a movie that would be like, say, you know, 90 minutes to two hours. Um, and so, as you say, you know, we've got this Kafkaesque, uh, the Kafkaesque is maybe something that's worth just defining a little bit. Uh, so what we're kind of looking at there is a situation that is, so it's an alien attack, right? 
but we're looking at it like from the point of view of like a bureaucracy, a governmental organization, how would it deal poorly with an alien attack due to its inherent uh, absurd structuring. So we're looking, so tonally, this is going to be kind of absurdist and ridiculous. Um, you'll probably have a comic edge to it. This is something that is going to come into play in a couple instances here. Um, and then thematically, it's really tied to the idea that uh, terrible things will happen uh, because you have you know bureaucratic governmental structuring that makes action almost impossible. That's sort of inherent in that sort of Kafkaesque idea. Now, a true Kafkaesque story might veer into the um, the horrific or nightmarish. We may or may not go there, uh, but like. Those are sort of, if people don't know that term, that's sort of where the wheelhouse of this idea. Correct. And when we start um, to tell the story, we always start with that premise. So we always want to, or you want to consider whether or not uh, it's a good or a bad premise. Yeah. And in terms of the idea or the premise, good and bad is sort of relative terms, uh, but in the sense that Really, any idea can work and be good. It's just that what I would, when I say like something's good or bad uh, in terms of an idea or a premise, what I mean is that certain premises or ideas lend themselves more easily or less easily to certain forms. So if I'm gonna, so let's just take a short story versus a movie as an example, okay? Because that's the sort of the two examples here. But uh, obviously, there's a length of difference. Right, you know, a short story is a certain length. A feature film is another, you know, rough length. Uh, in one case, we're looking at like you know, roughly ten pages. You know, like about three thousand words, or maybe a little more, maybe a little less. You know, depending on how long that story is really going to be, uh, versus a movie script, which is going to be closer to ninety pages, one hundred twenty pages, maybe. And again, it's going to play out over like ninety minutes or two hours. So. The idea that lends the, itself to the, the length sort of makes a difference. You don't want to take a feature film idea and cram it into, well, you again, I'm going to use the same idea in both examples, but you'll see like as we're kind of going through it that you have to kind of treat it differently for the container length. And one of idea will kind of lend itself more easily to uh, like this idea. What we'll see quickly is that it works better as a short story than as a movie, but it could work in both ways and the reason it works more as a short story than as a movie is the thing i'm going to get into in a second here which is you have these different types of conflict uh that fundamentally are structuring stories and different forms uh then themselves better naturally to different types of conflicts so prose fiction uh which is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with a short story prose fiction works best and lends itself most easily to stories that have uh, internal conflict and focus on internal conflict as it's their core conflict. Because the great strength of prose fiction is that we get um, this to use this narrative voice that can very cleanly go into a character's head. Uh, even if we're not, you know, using narrative voice that's like first person I or, or, or tied really clearly to the character, having even if we're still like outside of the character always, in a fly on the wall, like you know, in in in, in Hal Hemingway we might write a story or what have you, we're always sort of have this ability to be just the way that prose fiction works. You tend to sort of understand a character's interiority uh, more easily and fully than say in a feature film where you don't have that direct access for the most part, most of the tricks that get you that direct access or that get you close in that way. Um, don't play well, like uh, voiceover for a character's thoughts doesn't play well in um, uh, movies. Generally uh, movies tend to, uh, you can have a really engaging short story, which a guy is just sitting at a desk uh, because so much of the dramatic action is sort of swirling around them or happening, you know, kind of in their head or in a, in this case, maybe we're going to be communicating through the computer, right? Because this dude's working at a government job. He's probably just sitting at his desk for the most part. Uh, that's not cinematically appealing to an audience, right? You don't want to watch a guy sitting at a desk for two hours. 
you need external action. You need external conflict uh, in a movie in a way that you don't uh, need it and you don't need to prioritize it uh, in, say, prose fiction. So uh, broadly speaking, uh, an idea that ha- lends itself well to uh, focusing on internal conflict is going to work better in prose fiction. An idea that lends itself well to external conflict is going to work better in uh, f- you know, a feature film. Uh, this idea has, you know, both, almost every idea has multiple conflict levels, but then which one we focus on is going to be the kind of core shift. So what we'll see really quickly is uh, when I make the movie version of this idea, I've got to focus on the alien attack a lot more uh, than I do in prose fiction, where maybe I'm focusing more on like this guy trying to get authorization to do something about the alien attack. And, you know, I could literally, uh, what I'm going to suggest in this case, actually, to highlight uh, the conflicts that are happening on the bureaucratic level and to de-emphasize the conflict that is happening externally outside of the governmental office, you know, system and organization, I'm going to suggest that maybe we write this whole story in emails that the guy is sending to his superiors. Um, In fact, I would just pick only his side of the emails. Again, in a short story, I want to you know, take what parts of the premise I can limit uh, to the situation as much as possible. So I would probably even just pick just this guy's emails um, and not even the emails he's getting in response in order to kind of keep it into that 10 page length. You know, so like instead of like an email he sends, the email he gets back and then the email he sends next, I'll just do the email he sends and then the email he sends next, not show the email that he got back in response, but just allude to it. That way I can kind of get three pages of content in two pages and keep it kind of short and tight, which matters in prose fiction and a short story, not a concern in a movie where I got this expanse. Yeah, Lennon. Yeah, and that makes sense. And it ties into um, a point that you had mentioned earlier about making any idea work. What happens when you get to a point where you think that your idea is unworkable? What do you do and what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. So what, what an idea being unworkable, when I use that phrase to say like, well, this idea is starting to seem unworkable. What do I mean by that? Like technically speaking, any idea can be workable. Like it can work. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out like how to make it work. Uh, but like I say, there's certain ideas, certain you know, premises for stories that uh, are very inherently very difficult to make work. So for example, if a guy has been hit by a car and he is laying in the hospital and he's paralyzed and he can, and he's in a you know, coma uh, or not even in a coma, let's take him, you know, he's paralyzed, he's just laying in the hospital, can't move, can't do anything. Um, uh, and what you want, your premise, what you want is to explore, uh, you know, how does he get, uh, like, Let's say he knows that the person who shot him is coming to finish the job. How is he going to, but he can't explain this to somebody, right? He can't, you know, he can barely move at all. Maybe he has like a tiny bit of movement and motion, but he can't really speak. He can barely move. Like, how is he going to get out of this situation? What's he going to do? That's a bad, that's not going to work well as a movie idea, Uh, right? Uh, In a movie idea, you'll have to keep escaping that situation. Uh, like to make the movie work, you really have to keep like flashing back, <laughs> cutting to like, what's the killer doing? It's really hard to keep the focus on that person because there's just very little to look at, uh, right? They're very little for them to do uh, and so on. It just, it starts to become unworkable in a sense in a feature film because you just keep having, due to the nature of the feature film, you have to keep like moving away from it. Now there's maybe a way to do it, uh, but it becomes very, 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 very difficult. Um, whereas that idea could work quite well in prose fiction, where we could focus on a stream of consciousness, even though maybe externally nothing is happening. Uh, he's just sort of running through his memories or his anxieties or, or, or replaying the situation in his mind. Like we don't necessarily have to be showing that stuff. We can still stay with his, you can stay in the moment and also kind of be dipping in and out of, th- of other moments and so on. 
like in a say though, in a feature film, like if I need to make a movie of that, it's, it's really hard to make a movie of that. And then other ideas are unworkable in terms of tone, almost like it's hard to make like certain things that are totally ridiculous, be serious. Uh, right. And so on. If you get to the point where you feel like one of the great things about breaking a story and really kind of outlining what you might want to do before uh, spending serious time writing it is you can kind of get more closely, you can kind of get further into the process before you realize the idea is perhaps unworkable. So you don't necessarily have to write, you know, uh, 400 pages before you realize, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> you know, uh, if you just can't figure out in half an hour, how to make the thing work uh, as a story. Uh, it's better just kind of figure that out as soon as possible. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is when it comes to a, a broad sense of the idea, you have to be con- cognizant of the, f- of the form that it's taking and mm-hmm. allow that form to help shape the idea that you're working with. And, and think about restrictions of it too, right? Like one of the restrictions of doing a short story uh, is I can only have so much plot. Uh, if I get too much plot in a short story, uh, like too many things kind of happening, uh, what I, in order to get it into that short story f- container, um, I start to have to really summarize things rather than play out a dramatic scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once you have a certain amount of plot, uh, a short story becomes unreadable almost because it just starts to read like a Wikipedia summary of, uh, you know, what happened in this person's life, as opposed to you expanding dramatic scenes. In a movie, you can obviously put more plot in. In a novel, you could have, you know, a thousand page novel that covers 200 years of uh, stuff that happens, you know. Uh, that's just not as possible in a short story, although it's you know technically possible, I guess. So we have a premise then, and we have a form that we're going to be talking about. Before we talk about actually breaking the story, do you want to spend a a moment or two talking about how genre um, interacts with form? Sure. So uh, when we talk about genre, we're talking about like a story type, right? So people know some of the big genres, like horror is one of the big genres, right? Uh, Science fiction is another kind of big genre. Um, We have, you know uh certain like romance uh is another kind of big genre you've got some sub genres right you got like the slasher film which is a subset of a horror we've got you know um uh maybe you know you got one of the big genres is like fantasy but then there's like the subset of fantasy that would maybe be like where kind of game of thrones fits there's another kind of subset of fantasy that's kind of where harry potter fits right and so on. And there's another like subset of fantasy where, uh, you know, we're in just sort of a more surreal, uh, like the realm of like um, Jeff Vandermeer's work uh, and so on. Uh, you know, we're in Area X now and, and it's kind of blending into horror and science fiction and so on. Uh, all these genres have what we call conventions. Um, so what that just means in a simple level is if you're going to write in one of those genres, there's like a handful of things that you have to do to be in the genre, right? If you're not doing X, Y, and Z, it's not that kind of story. Uh, so if you're choosing to write in a genre for some reason, uh, one, you have to be aware of like the requirements that you need to kind of fulfill in the story, uh, now the good side of that is if you decided in advance, you're working in a genre or if the premise seems to lend itself well to a certain genre, right. Um, then you can, you kind of have certain things pre-made for you, uh, which, you know, like maybe you're writing a horror story, you know, there's going to be a monster. There's certain qualities of a monster yeah, it's a lot of work to figure out your monster and what you're going to do with that monster. But you know, like certain things, you know, they'll have to, uh, d- you know, that people will deny the existence of the monster initially. You know, that somebody will suffer as a result of denying the existence of the monster, right? You've got certain like big story moves. You just have to figure out precisely how to do them. Um, and you got to be find it. The bad side is a lot of people have done this. Like everybody, a person writing in horror has done some version of this thing or that thing. How do you get, 
an original interesting take on it. But the good side of it is uh, you kind of have at least some work done for you. Uh, in this example, I'm kind of working like, you know, sort of subset of uh, sci-fi fantasy and comedy. Uh, and it's probably leaning more towards like comedy, right? Again, like we got this calf guest situation where this bureaucracy is ill-equipped to uh, deal with an alien invasion. We've got this character, whoever our character is, who's just trying, uh, you know, we'll get into like who that character is and what they're trying to do. But you've got this situation, this genre situation where uh, fundamentally like what I'm, something I'm trying to do here is comedy. Because it is comedy, uh, there are certain things I can do uh, that, like the premise is inherently ri ridiculous, right? And it has a sort of inherent uh, comedy aspect. Plus, it, but it also partakes to the sci-fi, like the alien attack movie or, or the alien attack story, right? So what's nice about that is I can take just elements of the alien attack story, right? Like things that we typically see in an alien attack story. Uh, and I can, so that's some of those things are kind of pre-made for me in a sense. Uh, plus I can uh, uh, twist them around in a kind of comedic way. And I can kind of play fast and loose with elements of it. So one thing that you see a lot in comedy, for example, is normally in a story you have to have a kind of radical change from like the start to the end for something to have happened and for the story to have like been significant like there was a reason we read the story right you need like that it's like something has to change like the world has to change you know if if, if it starts out uh, aliens attack the earth by the end you know either the aliens have taken over the earth or the aliens have been repelled uh right uh you know, something ha has to have happened. We don't start in like the middle of an alien invasion and then we end elsewhere in the middle of the alien invasion, uh, right? Without having tied it up in any, you know, they failed or they succeeded, right? But uh, because it's comedy, I have that kind of option available to me now. I can actually, in comedy, you can have an ironic uh, ending where like no change takes place uh, <laughs> because, you know, inherently uh or a change takes place but it doesn't actually have the result that it should have you know you've got like a bit more opportunity for uh surprise and to, you can kind of comedy lets you subvert the genre conventions a lot so i can take these sci-fi conventions that i have to kind of play into in some ways and i can subvert them like so if the aliens are attacking the earth um, again there's certain things that that means right uh, I can, you know, play and subvert those conventions because I'm in comedy a bit more easily. Uh, the audience will kind of just allow me, the audience will allow a certain level of coincidence in a comedy that they won't allow in another plot, uh, like a more tightly plotted story. They'll allow, you know, a certain um, ridiculousness, uh, which again, allows me get away with plot skipping. I can kind of move faster in a comedy because we don't have the same expectations that people will act in a realistic, psychologically motivated manner. Uh, so there's just certain things I can do in a comedy that I can't do in another story. And similarly, any, whatever genre you're writing in, uh, there's things you can more easily do and, you know, less easily do. It's hard in okay. a horror, uh, to, you know, like it's hard in a horror to leave the point of view of the victims and share the monstrous point of view. Uh, you can do it, but it tends to kind of start moving you away from horror. Uh, sure. In comedy, it's almost reversed. If you take the character's plight seriously and you actually make them uh, a character who we care about, it kind of starts to not work well in comedy. So what you're saying is... Um, that each, I'm just going to boil down what you're saying, which is that mm -hmm. each genre comes with a specific set of expectations in the reader. And it's your job as the, the writer to be aware of what those expectations are, uh, to use them, but also be aware of how that, those expectations and that genre interplays with the form that you're choosing. Yeah. And as a writer, I think it's really important to understand like 
This is where if you're going to write in your genre, you need to do research, which can either be studying the genre, like, you know, you want to write science fiction, you go read books about science fiction, or just studying other examples, you know, you want to write alien attack stories, you go read a bunch of alien attack stories or watch a bunch of alien attack movies or whatever. Uh, but also like you have like the, um, the job as a writer to kind of add to that uh, genre rather than just making another thing like that. You want to kind of take it somewhere and do something Perfect. a little different, uh, but you got to pay respect. And like, again, it, 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 there's certain things, if you do them, you're not in the genre anymore. Uh, which is fine, but you know, you need to be aware of it. Okay. So now that we have, we have a premise, we, we know what form we're going with and we have a sense of the, the genre that it's going to exist in, which gives us some building blocks to start with. Break the story. So let's talk first. The first thing I would always figure out with breaking a story is like, what's the big change that I need to take place now again. Uh, so, so, and I, I'm talking about change on a really literal and straightforward level. Like in this example, again, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to do short story first. So in this short story, you know, we've got an alien attack. Uh, imagine like, how are they going to get repel this alien attack? So whatever the details of the alien attack are, I don't need to worry too much about, but let's imagine that, uh, the simplest thing that I can think here is what if there was a big weapon that the government has created in case of an alien attack? Okay. Uh, you can see where I'm going through this already, right? Then, so they, they've, they've in advance decided, you know, they've got this massive ray gun that is going to like shoot at a ship of, you know, you're going to shoot the alien fleet if there's ever an alien attack. Uh, and so at the start of it, you know, aliens are attacking. They haven't yet shot the weapon by the end. We would expect, okay, if they haven't shot again, the check off in, uh, if there's a gun, the first act, it has to go off by the final act, right? If they haven't shot. So, you know, maybe I'm just telling the story again, I'm in a short story. So I want to keep it short. Maybe I'm just telling the story of like, uh, how this gun went from not being fired at the aliens to being fired at the aliens. Like that's just the simple change, you know, that is, could take place in this story. Now, because we're doing comedy though, again, that's normally how, like, if I was going to write a short science fiction story, this, think about it in those terms. What's the change that takes place? That's kind of what the story is about. This is a story about how the, you know, the government fired, finally fired their space alien attack gun at the space aliens that were attacking. Okay. Uh, that's the, you know, it goes from A to B because I'm in comedy. I don't have to actually make that transition. I can have a false change. So in comedy, this could be the story of how the government still didn't fire their alien attack weapon at the aliens that attacked. They started and we could have like a person who's just trying to get the authorization to fire the gun that was designed for this purpose, but they just can't get it because of the bureaucracy. That's something I can do in comedy. I can have I can basically diffuse, I can have like a story where nothing really happens, but there's a lot of activity, you know, so that's something you can do in comedy. If it wasn't comedy, I can't really have that. I would have to have this clear change take place. Uh, but in a comedy, I can kind of keep going towards the change and have it not take place. The um, story is actually realism for all of us who have ever dealt with the government or worked for the government. Right. Uh, again, like, the, the sci-fi non-comedy, you'd have to have the gun go off in this example. But because it's comedy, I have that additional option of having a bunch of activity towards the change, but not really having the change. So that's the change I'm going to kind of settle on. I've decided like this will be the story of how the government was this guy, you know, somebody was trying to fire a gun that was designed to fire at the space aliens, but they just couldn't get it to happen uh, for whatever reason. Now, maybe I'll change my mind and they do fire the gun, uh, but probably I'm going to keep it that they don't. Uh, so the conflict here uh, is the next kind of big thing I would figure out. So, because the way you think of a story is, is, what's the big change? Like, what's the big thing that's happening from start to the end of the story? Okay. So in this case, it's an ironic non-change, but normally it'd be a, ch a change that takes place. Uh, 
what's going to produce the change is the conflict. So you need to get a conflict that's going to drive throughout the story and produce that change. So uh, there's, again, three big level, like types of conflict, like I say. Uh, the external conflict here that is in place in the story is like aliens are attacking. You know, this is external, you know, force, uh, aliens attacking. And then, you know, uh, we're trying to repel the aliens. So that is a conflict that's happening in the story, but that's not going to be the driving conflict of the story. Because again, I'm not in science fiction land and I'm not necessarily trying to make a movie right now. Right now I'm thinking about a short story and I'm in short story land. So uh, the other big level of conflict is social conflict. So conflict between individuals. In this case, the government bureaucracy is a collection of individuals, but really it's another form of external conflict because all those individuals are not really functioning like individuals. Uh, right, they're sort of functioning like one character in the group is trying to deal with the bureaucracy, which is being represented by these other individuals. So there's another level of external conflict where sort of things are happening, uh, but you could call it an interpersonal conflict. Let's say it's sort of, sort of a, a straddling like interpersonal, like social and and uh, external conflict, but it's you know we'll call it. It's more sort of in between like an individual and an external alien attack. So we're going to kind of call it a social conflict. So there's the big aliens are attacking. We've got to repel them. There's also this level of like, you know, this person needs authorization from their superiors. Uh, and so it's they're the, now in the conflict with the superiors. Versus the government, basically. Yeah, so that's like your social <laughs> conflict level. Uh, but like I say, uh, so that's going to be a lot of the activity of this particular story is like this person's trying to get authorization. But here's the real thing. The real conflict in the story, if you actually think through it, again, what I want in a uh, short story, ideally, I can do external conflicts in a short story as well. I can do social conflicts in a short story as well. But ideally, in a short story, I want an internal conflict. So the actual conflict here uh, is how is, this person is following orders. Instead of just firing the laser, they're trying to get authorization, right? So their internal conflict is that they've internalized this bureaucratic attitude. Even though they're frustrated about what's going on, how they can't get the authorization, they still are waiting on authorization, right? So really, like, the problem here is an internal problem. To solve this problem, uh, the aliens won't just stop attacking. The government's never going to authorize this thing. So to solve this problem, this person has to just decide to disobey orders, uh, or and just act without authorization. Rather, they don't even have orders. They're, they they want to act without authorization. That's what they need to. They need to overcome uh, that internal conflict. On one hand, they want to fire the laser. On the other hand, they want authorization before they fire the laser. So that's actually the conflict at the heart of the story. Uh, so that is going to structure. Like these other things are worth keeping in mind, but that is the conflict that's going to structure this story. And so this is sort of the story of how this person either overcame. Uh, their need for authorization and then fired the laser, or uh, it's going to be the story of how this person, you know, still just failed, you know, despite how dire things got, they failed to authorize to just, they failed to go to act without authorization and therefore didn't fire the laser and something bad happened. So it sounds as though while you're talking about this overall scope of the story, you've started to develop the, the central character of the story also. Yeah, and I would argue you can start with the character, which some writers do. Some writers will sit down and they'll think, I want to write a story about this kind of character, and they'll start to develop the character up. That's uh, possible. It's completely uh, possible to do um, if you you know start with the character and you kind of find a story for them. Uh, I don't tend to work that way personally, and uh, I find that if you kind of start with the premise and you kind of work down, you eventually arrive at a character that's interesting and works for the story because to me the character is a function of the story and the character has a part like a structural position in a story um and i'm less interested in building stories around characters but you can do it so uh it's worth pointing out that you you know i start with the change then find a conflict that is going to drive that change and then i find a character that's going to suffer that conflict basically but any of those three places are a good starting point um, so in, in my example here, uh, again, this character is going to be a government worker. Uh, what we're going to be looking at 
on a formal level is when we're looking at their emails, like two different people trying to get authorization, like to their superiors, trying to get authorization to fire the laser at the aliens that are attacking. Um, that person, again, you need this, characters have two qualities. They have what's called characteristics. Uh, so characteristics are like, you know, they, they got gray hair, they're wearing a gray shirt, you know, they like to talk on a headset, you know, they have a chainsaw bear in their office. Like these are characteristics, right? They're things that an external observer could observe. You know, they talk in a certain way, maybe, maybe they dress a certain way, maybe they have a certain facial tick or they do something with their hands or they're nervous, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, kicking their desk, you know, or whatever. These are all characteristics. So characteristics are not super important for characters, but they are uh, important in the sense that what the characteristics can do is provide a key to uh, what we might call the character's deep character. So their internal, like uh, who they are. Uh, so who they are is a bit more abstract. The characteristics are meant to help us understand who they are visually or, um, you know, we add up all these characteristics and we kind of get at who the person is. Um, but who they are inside is primarily uh, going to be expressed in the choices that they are making. So what we have to do consistently with the character is present them with choices, have them make a choice. Uh, and then uh, that's going to sort of show us who the character is. Uh, we need a character, like I say, who has a conflict. Uh, not only do they often need an external conflict or a social conflict that's going to present an obstacle to them, uh, but like into what they want, uh, but they also need an internal conflict in the sense, even if it's not going to drive the story, in this case, it's going to drive the story. Uh, but another example, it might not drive the story so much, but they might still need this internal conflict because we need just some reason they don't want to do the thing that they have to do to solve the problem. So in a story, you need this problem. In this case, the problem is uh, threefold, right? Uh, the big problem is that the aliens are attacking. Uh, connected to that but you know, how do we solve that problem? Well, we fire this big anti-alien attack laser at them. Well, why can't we just fire the anti-alien attack laser at them? Well, the problem is that the government hasn't authorized firing the alien attack laser, um, right? So uh, why doesn't the person in charge of the alien attack laser just fire it against government orders? Well, they have this need, this deep character flaw uh, where they need, uh, they just don't want to act without authorization. Uh, they've internalized as much as they're frustrated and complaining about and writing like letter after letter, you know, email after email to their superiors about how stupid it is that we're not firing this laser. Look, we built this laser. Um, uh, they've still internalized that attitude. So, a character needs a flaw like that, like a reason they don't just do the thing that would solve the problem. Uh, because otherwise, of course, they'll just do it and the story's over. Uh, so they need a flaw. Uh, we may also give them characteristics that express that flaw. So like, if that's a deep character quality that they kind of, they have the desire to act, but they don't take action a lot. We might have like a lot of half-finished projects in their room, right? You know, they might have started the painting, and but it's not finished. You know what I mean? Like these are like things that we could like. We, like one of the things I've got, uh, you can't see it here, but in the other room, I've got uh, one of those big multi um, multi-picture frames, and I've got like half of it's full of like pictures of my kids. The other half are the stock photos that came with the photo frame. Uh, like that's exactly the kind of thing that this person would have in their office, right? Because um, they just can't quite do it uh, without somebody else helping them or contributing, you know, like they just, they have this maybe inability to do everything completely independently on their own uh, and staying focused in that way. Now, will they overcome that by the end of the story is the question, but characters need a flaw uh, that prevents them from doing the thing they have to do uh, to solve the problem story problem uh they often we also need some characteristics like ways to express that to the audience outside of their choices 
just to kind of help the audience understand this. Um, and the other just big guide of a character is one way to kind of get at a character and why, why I like to start with the story problem uh, before I get to a character is uh, the easiest, like in a story, of course, the question kind of comes like, who do you focus on? So if there's an alien, if there's aliens attacking the earth, like the problem with that is the aliens are attacking, you know, billions of people at once. Uh, which person are we writing a story about? Well, uh, in a weird, it's hard to narrow that down, right? Uh, you literally have billions of options. Uh, but the, the easy way to narrow it down is to think like, well, who in this story world would have the biggest problem uh, and also a potential ability to do something about the problem? It's like somebody who's been killed by an alien uh, has, on one hand, their problem has been solved. <laughs> But on the other hand, like they have no ability to do anything about it. Uh, a person who doesn't have control of the laser uh, may have like a problem because they're getting attacked by aliens, but they don't have like the means to solve their problem. Um, or even like any, they may not even know the laser exists, right? It may be just uh, government secret that this laser, military secret the laser exists. But the person who's literally in charge of the laser uh, and just lacks the authorization uh, to fire the laser. Um, that person has like a problem, uh, and they also have like a potential means to do something about the problem. Yeah, and that ties into one of the the main elements that I seem to come across whenever I'm looking at uh, character development or writing pieces, and that's talking about a character's wants and the obstacles that prevent them from whatever it is they want. Um, so that's built into this internal conflict that you're talking about. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about what that, um, I guess, concept of the character want is? So this is the way that most, you, you're right to point this out. Uh, it, so most people, when they write about characters and designing a character, will ask, tell you to focus on what this character wants. I think that's the uh, wrong way to write characters. I think it, it, because it doesn't matter what a character wants fundamentally. What matters is uh, the obstacle to what they want, uh, right? So like what they want is sort of irrelevant. A character might want a hundred things, but the only thing they want that matters is the thing they can't get, right? So I think the obstacle focus is more interesting. And I think the best obstacle to a character getting what they want the one that we're going to continually focus on in the story is why don't they just do what there's they need to do to get what they want? That's actually the real problem for characters is they have a flaw. Uh, there's, you know, different people will use the best way I've uh, seen to talk about this is uh, a writer named Amon Bookbinder uh, talks about characters often labor under a spell. It says, if a spell was cast on this person, like think about characters this way. It's as if a spell was cast on the character and because the spell was cast on them, they are overlooking something or they're unable to do something that would solve the problem. Uh, so uh, although maybe they haven't literally had a spell cast on them, characters typically will act as if there was a spell cast on them. Like this guy is going to act as if someone had cast a spell on them and he didn't realize he could just press the button and fire the laser. He's, he's got to act like that, right? Uh, his flaw is that he doesn't just see that he could solve the problem or he's unwilling to solve the problem for whatever reason. And what, because what we're going to see, this, the actual way we develop a plot in uh, stories is the character uh, has a problem. There's a way to solve their problem, but they don't want to do it. And so they try something else to solve the problem. So they try, uh, this uh, again, this is sort of where the plot development is going to come eventually. Uh, so we'll get to this, uh, you know, shortly in a bit more detail, but the fundamental way that we develop a story plot, uh, is we take this character and we assume that they're lazy and laboring under a spell. Uh, and we 
just sort of keep asking this character to do something and they keep trying to get out of it. Uh, so like th- you think about characters as being lazy in this way. If there's a problem, they try the smallest thing they could possibly do to solve the problem. Of course it doesn't work. Uh, in fact, it makes things worse. Uh, now they've got to try a bigger thing that they didn't try initially. Uh, they try to do a smaller thing. Now they're going to do a bigger thing to solve the problem. It doesn't work. Therefore, they've got to do a bigger thing. It doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So characters keep laddering up like what they try to solve the problem. And it, but and until eventually they get to the point where they have to do the thing they never they have been trying to avoid doing in the first place. And then either they do it uh, and succeed or fail, or they don't do it uh, and, you know, as a result, fail. Yeah, or you get some ironic when, scenario. I when I was reading Story by Robert McKee, he mentions a very similar concept, which is this yes. idea that people don't want to put in they want to put in as little work to create the desired change as they possibly can. And so the point yes. of the story is they have to keep putting in more work before they finally get what they want. And if characters that we read as real unrealistic <laughs> It's, I mean, think of the absurdity of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about aliens attacking the earth and a guy has a laser that they can fire and they're just not firing it because they want authorization. It is an inherently ridiculous, absurdist, unrealistic scenario. But I put it that, but weirdly, what we'll read as unrealistic is not anything related to that scenario. In fact, you'll read, as you say, it'll be seem totally believable and realistic. You could totally believe a government would have an anti alien attack laser and not fire it. 100%. It makes sense. I believe it, uh, right? If, maybe not literally, but as a metaphor, and I would almost believe it literally. Uh, I would what literally. wouldn't make sense? What wouldn't make sense? Weirdly, is uh, if <laughs> weirdly it make less sense for the guy to fire it immediately when he's told not to fire it, because we know people in the government aren't that uh, motivated and adept at their jobs. Right. Like that's at least the cliche. Um, in reality, of course, it might be different, but like, like, so when characters do things that we don't think are motivated, what that usually means is like structurally in the story, they've taken too drastic an action too fast. And you can artificially get a character to take drastic action by just increasing the uh, intensity of the situation and you know it, it demands greater action they w- maybe want to take which is of course what we're doing over the course of a story typically now is it um as these actions are sort of leveling up or the the challenges are sort of leveling up at what point does it reach you know what i consider to be one of the the most interesting parts of any story which is the crisis point in the story so think about it. The crisis point of the story uh, would be just structurally speaking. Uh, it's the moment where it's a character moment. So it's the moment where uh, the character is taking or is faced with the most dramatic, uh, basically faced with the choice that they don't want to make. So the whole story, they've been putting off this choice. So in this example, the big choice that this person doesn't want to make is they don't want to accept responsibility for firing the laser or not firing it, right? They're trying to offload the responsibility. Even though their job is to fire the laser when told what when told to fire it, um, the reality is that they are they're, they have the ability to fire it. And so if they're not firing it, it's not the government's fault. It's their fault. And they don't want to accept that responsibility. So that's what the story is about on a character level. They're trying to, again, they're laboring under a spell. It's as if they don't realize they could just fire the laser and end this alien attack. Uh, They think they're doing everything they can do to get this laser fired and save everybody. That's what they think. That's the spell they're laboring under. Uh, The crisis moment in this example would be uh, the moment when they uh, basically can no longer ignore the fact that they are the ones not firing the laser. 
And now they have to make a decision. Are they going to fire the laser? And then that decision is the crisis decision, right? Um, now, in another story, it might be a different thing, but it's always like that. It's always the moment in the story where the character basically gets to the most, they, 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 they are going to do, or they have the opportunity to do uh, the biggest thing possible that they could do to resolve this conflict. And if they, and you have a few options here, either one, they don't do it. And we get what's called an anticlimax where, uh, because the climax is just the result of the crisis action, whatever the character has done or failed to do, uh, you get the fallout. And the fallout is the crisis where the conflict reaches its head and the conflict is resolved. So we're kind of talking about two things at once here. Uh, I just want to maybe distinguish them a little bit. So late in the story, we have a crisis moment where the character is taking uh, or where the character is faced with this choice. They can no longer escape the choice and they have to choose. Will they do X? And X is whatever is the most extreme thing they could do to resolve the, the whatever the conflict is. And then the, the climax is the fallout from that. So the climax is the resolution of the conflict. So when we're talking climaxes, uh, climaxes is just when the conflict is resolving. Conflicts can resolve in different ways. So one way the conflict can resolve, of course, is you know that the problem is solved. So the aliens stop attacking Earth because we fired a laser and killed them. Okay, that is one resolution to the conflict. Uh, you can have other resolutions to the conflict. Uh, the aliens just stop attacking Earth for, because you know they decided they're bored of attacking Earth. Now, that's a bad resolution to the conflict because it has no connection to the crisis. That would be what we call a Deus Ex Machina ending. And a Deus Ex Machina's ending is just when the climax doesn't relate to the crisis. You know, we want it for, for a story to work, uh, now, again, we can get away with the Deus Ex Machina ending in, in comedies. So that's the, again, one of the things the genre allows for us is to get away with the Deus Ex Machina ending. The movie adaptation does this. They call out the fact that they're doing a Deus Ex Machina and then they do a Deus Ex Machina. Um, uh, so I have that option if I want to take it. Um, but of course, you know, it, it tends to... Generally, it's not a great idea even in a comedy to do a Deus Ex Machina ending because what a Deus Ex Machina ending does is it, because it resolves a conflict without tying it to anything that's been happening in the story, it sort of negates the point of the story. Like it negates everything that happened in the story fundamentally. It was kind of a waste of time to read the story or to watch the movie in that sense. And the audience tends to feel cheated about it. But again, you can kind of get away with it in certain scenarios. Um, but broadly speaking, we want to avoid a Deus Ex Machina ending. We want to have a climax where the character makes a choice and that choice results in the conflict resolution. So again, the conflict can resolve happily, like the character, you know, they get what they want, they succeed, the world is saved, et cetera, et cetera. Or it can resolve negatively because a resolution of the conflict is also the aliens kill everybody on earth. Now they're no longer attacking Earth because everyone's dead. So the conflict's resolved, yeah, <laughs> right? Yes. Or they fire the laser, it doesn't do anything. The laser just explodes and kills the person who fired it. That's also a resolution. They can't do anything else because they're dead now and the laser can't be used, it failed. So resolutions don't have to mean happy endings. Like conflict resolution just means either uh, the problem is solved or it's clear now the problem cannot be solved ever. <laughs>